Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And they appeared to, then uh, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know but to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the, this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do you scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does, not, does come first to restore all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come and they didn't, did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Oh, there we go. It's on. Thank you, Austin. Um, yeah, sorry. I might do a little bit of feedback. Hold on. We'll figure it out. If anyone can figure it out, it's Austin. Um, hey, guys. Good morning. How's it going? Um, well, thank you for having me. I, like Russell said, I'm Katie. I'm, uh, I'm a mother, uh, a teacher. I've been, this is my first year off teaching and seven years I teach early childhood so I'm used to teaching very very little minds um, now I'm teaching all the big kids and so thank you for being here with me today um, when have there been moments in your life that you have wanted everything you could possibly squeeze out of a moment and like you you do not want to see my camera roll right now can anyone beat me with how many pictures I have on my phone? I probably have five, like 5,500 pictures on my phone. Can anyone, does anyone have more? Raise your hand. If you have, oh, mm, okay, over there, Elizabeth's got more. Um, if you have kids, you probably have, yeah, it's like 10, 15 pictures of the same exact thing that I'm just looking at, but I just can't delete one because my kids are so cute. I love them. Um, and so I, I find this brutally compelling compulsion to just bottle up an experience and save it. Videos, journaling, photo albums, mindfulness even, uh, visually trying to just print an image on my mind, saving them for nostalgia or for periods of suffering or um, sadness. What are moments that I wanna save? Uh, for me, it's been when I've climbed mountains or when I've been sailing on an ocean or jumping off of a cliff into a lake. Uh, the look on my parents' faces when I told them that I was pregnant. And um, now their faces as they play with their grandkids. And the first time I held my two babies after I birthed them. Hugging my mom and dad as they let me go to college in New York City at age 18. <laughs> God bless them. And um, when I was baptized when I was 22. Uh, when I graduated with my master's degree and when I got married some of those moments for me, but wherever we're at spiritually in our lives, we all have moments that we want to just remember and 
let those moments inform how we live our life and uh, why do we need to remember these moments? Why? I think, and on this, yeah, why do we need to remember these mountaintop moments? And why does God create this very memorable mountaintop moment for Jesus and his disciples? And so we're going to look at that that text today, and the context of what's happening is Jesus is taking his disciples, who he's very close with up on this mountain, uh, Peter, James, and John, away to a, on this hike, basically. And before this, Jesus had been traveling around, performing miracles in different places in the area. And we're going to look at three parts of this text. And those parts are, first, what the transfiguration actually is, what's happening. Uh, the second is the human responses to the transfiguration. And then, to kind of sum everything up, is God's glory in this moment. And so, let's start with verses 2 through 4. And I'm just going to read after. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So when I read this, I'm reminded of the time <laughs> that I went on a high mountain. Um, but I was entirely unaware, and this is kind of a fuzzy picture of it, but it's there, it's happening. Um, I was entirely unaware of what my expectations were let alone what I was actually doing. I was invited by a friend. I was studying abroad in the UK, and I was, she said, you want to go climb a mountain with the Mountaineering Club? Like, they have, like, an open spot in their van. Let's do this. And I, I said, yeah, sure. I, I like, you know, they call it hill walking in Scotland. So it's, like, very, very low bar. Cool. I've got my, my shoes. And this last-minute trip, I show up, and... Um, and I have on, if you could imagine, literally sneakers, like sneakers. They were an outdoor brand, but from a really realistic standpoint, they were walking shoes. My, uh, my friend was wearing L.L. Bean boots, and so there was no traction happening under our feet. And the Scottish attitude is kind of similar to it. It's kind of like, go at your own risk. Like, we've been around long enough in this country to know <laughs> if you get yourself into a bad situation, it's kind of your fault. So the... We're going, and as I'm coming up this mountain, it's, as one scholar says, mountains were seen as the suburbs of heaven. And if you've climbed a mountain, you've probably felt that, and I love that. This place that bridges the earth and the heavens, and um, there's just a thinness of the air, and uh, it, it feels like you're just in another world, and in a heavenly world. And so we get to the top, we made it, um, the view is spectacular like we can see everything um and also this is february like to add to the insanity of this situation and my lack of judgment but we made it we survived there was a girl in our group that fell down a ravine like slid down a ravine she was okay but it was like the <laughs> it was crazy but we we had this sublime moment on top of the mountain like we we made it and I found out later that this was the tallest mountain in the UK. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't even know that until we got down. And, and so this was this moment of like complete, wow, awe, we made it, what did I get myself into? And I, I kind of think that this is maybe some of the emotions that the disciples had when they're up on this mountain with Jesus. 
and he begins to transfigure physically in front of them. His clothes are so bright that it's beyond what we can comprehend. And so I want to look at the word transfigure. It's written as this word metamorpho. Um, and it's seen in a couple other times in the New Testament, and it means changing form and keeping with inner reality. And so the two other times that it shows up with this word transform as metamorpho is do not, Romans 12, 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed, be metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, and we all, Paul is writing again, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being metamorphosed or transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so this physical, emotional, spiritual transfiguration Jesus is experiencing is also referenced in these passages as the transformation that we actually undergo in ourselves as we contemplate the glory of God. And so fascinating that this, maybe this physical change too, as it was for Christ, could be physical in our bodies somehow. Think about that. Um, along with our hearts and our minds. Maybe we are healed physically in ways we can't even understand or express, um, but we are anchored or keeping with our inner reality that we belong to and are made by God and are loved by him when we contemplate the glory of God and the transfiguration. Um, it's right here that I begin to think about, yeah, this glory and what it means to think about it. It's, it's usually referred to as doxa, God's infinite intrinsic worth, and we'll come back to that. Um, so the transfiguration itself was very visual. Jesus is not changing into something different here, but he is actually being revealed as who he actually is. So similar to the unveiling Paul talks about in the scripture, it's like the earthly veil is just being taken off for a moment and revealing this very real, very divine Jesus. So when visual realities are revealed for the first time, things begin to change spiritually and emotionally. Um, the James Webb Telescope, I know you guys probably saw those photos. There's a couple pictures on here about um, how much detail these tele this telescope is gathering about galaxies and the universe, it just more so than what we could ever have seen before now. And I just think about microscopes showing the microbiology of deadly viruses um, and also life-saving vaccines. What fun would it be to believe that unseen spiritual realities could someday be seen, kind of like this, or kind of like the transfiguration. Um, also, on a basic level, visual, physical changes communicate and reinforce the depth of a change. Um, a bride in her wedding dress, a new mother who just gave birth, a drastic haircut, a body or image change. A physical change of any sort should also lead to the question, what things spiritually and emotionally are changing as well? My whole self changed when I had when I bore children, when I carried children in my body, and um, especially my relationship with my body. Uh, I've been an athlete my whole life and uh, felt safer, so much more safe when I could control my body and what it looked like or what it felt like. And when I lost that control, I changed physically, I changed spiritually and emotionally. I had to learn to love my body for why it looked different. 
And that was an emotional and spiritually tethered choice, especially for a woman and um, in our culture and in our context. And so I, there's so much freedom from that change that I've experienced in my life as well, um, but very connected to my emotional health and my spiritual health. Also, the transfiguration was just a glimpse. It was just, it happened so quickly. Um, it was short. Jesus did not stay like this. Um, why not? I, I think about that. Why wasn't this prolonged? Uh, if you look at the arc of the gospel and read on, and uh, you know, if you know the whole story of Jesus and how he was sent to fulfill this call and this promise to be a sacrifice for our sins. And so it had to kind of be this foreshadowing of the glory that was to come because um, it wasn't to be fulfilled yet. And so also in our current state, I, I don't believe God's glory could be handled or understood. I don't. Uh, I think in our sinfulness and in our brokenness, the glory of God would be beyond what we could live through. <laughs> um, I think it would crush us, to be honest. And uh, I think the transfiguration also spotlighted Christ and who he was and who he was um, to be understood as. God is bringing them into this mountain to gain more of a complete vantage point, not only of the physical kingdom of God, but to understand who the king actually is. And Jesus is so the focus of this moment, he doesn't even speak. He's silent. And the only thing that happens is this transfiguration. And um, just verse 4, quickly, Elijah and Moses were prophets. And that's, that's who's standing next to Jesus. They were prophets from the Old Testament from years and years ago. Um, and Jesus came, basically they paved the way for Jesus and they went before him. And God's not only showing this truth by putting them there, but I also think he's gathering these people to congregate and kind of glorify God in this moment like a wedding and a, or maybe even like a funeral. Like there's worth in this moment and they're together and they're probably celebrating, but maybe also they know what's gonna happen and they're probably um, maybe more, I don't know. They're, they're, they're together and they're having communion together and it's beautiful. And so... Um, as we notice what Jesus, God, and these prophets of old are doing in this transfiguration, <laughs> the dichotomy of what the disciples' responses is kind of pretty embarrassing. <laughs> like, um, and so let's look at that. Let's look at the human response to what is happening. And Peter is pretty spotlighted in this moment. And in verse 5, it says, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. <laughs> because, for they did not, he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So overall, I think the disciples were a few things, but mainly distracted, anxious, and afraid. I think Peter is probably having some anxious thinking about how he believes and has said Jesus is the Messiah, um, but then Jesus, after that, predicted his death and said he was going to resurrect, and there's just a lot to process there. And then Jesus had also just told Peter, get behind me, Satan, <laughs> because Peter said, no, 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 you're not, you're not going to die. You're not going to resurrect. Like, we're not going to let that happen, and Jesus is saying, like, dude, you're, get me high. Like, do not try and change the plan here, because um, that this is what's happening, and this is what has to happen. And so, um, and then Jesus also explains, it, 
in that moment, if any of you want to come the way that I am going, you must say no to yourselves, pick up your cross, and follow me. And additionally, John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And so now they're going up onto this mountain with no explanation, and they're kind of probably going through this Rolodex of like anxious thinking, distraction, worrying about what's been happening, worrying about the future, confused. And um, amidst this panic, Peter kind of reacts really abruptly and says, let's make three tents. And if you look at the context of actually what's going on at the time, they, um, the Jewish calendar, was the Feast of Booths is happening. And this feast is to celebrate the Israelites and their freedom and liberation from, from Egypt. And they went into the wilderness, and um, the Feast of Booths is to celebrate this journey to the wilderness and this now newfound safety. And so Peter may actually be thinking that right now Jesus is being crowned king. Like he might think, he might be thinking, oh my gosh, let's celebrate because we're free. Just like the Israelites were free, and Jesus is here, and he's like, this is him. This is his, his moment to be king. And um, so let's build these tents and let's just stay here <laughs> because it's done. Everything's finished. We're good. And how significantly his expectations will change in the coming weeks to find out um, the different path that God actually has to take to gain us back. And so Peter's attention is focused on a religious reactionary approach to the presence of God, trying to earn favor and honor. And underneath this distraction and anxiousness, the truth is, like the text says, they were terrified. And to me, it seems like that may have been the only thing that they've done right, <laughs> that they did right. Um, because in the original Greek, it translates this word um, terrified as properly, wholly frightened. That's the definition of the word. And so they were properly fearful of the right entity of God. And they knew who they were to be afraid of. This is different than me watching Nope. Did anyone see Nope? Nope. I would say, yes, you got to go see it. It's good. I hate loud movies. I, I don't like scary movies. I, you know, there were moments, but like I... Yeah, I, it was good, and it was, but it's a different kind of fear. <laughs> I'm talking about a different kind of fear, and I also wrote down that time when I uh, watched The Ring in seventh grade and didn't sleep for two weeks. Like, slept in my, like, slept in my sister's bed with the lights on. And, um, but this is a different kind of fear. This is like a holy fear. And encountering God um, is, is the right type of fear to have because, um, He's God, and they're, but they're not. They're not attentive and present, even though they're afraid. Um, and even though God hasn't spoken yet, he will now speak kind of in his frustration that they're not listening to him. And this is an absolutely earth-shaking truth that God is showing them right in front of their eyes. And Peter, James, and John end up just doing and being, end up being distracted and being all caught up in their feelings. And I laugh because we do the same thing. And I do the same thing. We're distracted, we're ignorant, we're tired, busy, and worried. This doesn't mean God's glory is not there. It just means that we have the capacity to pay attention to it or not. It was right in front of the disciples' eyes, and they chose to be somewhere else in their mind. 
They chose other thinking patterns. And so it's going to be much easier for us to be absent and to ignore what's in front of us. And so, uh, yeah, I sit, I sit on my phone as an escape from reality. I'm, I'm a mom. I have two kids. Like, I am in kid zone all day. And so when I'm, like, seeing other moms posting crazy stuff about being a mom on Instagram, I'm like, yes, yes, that is what I'm going to be doing when my kids are resting. I'm going to be getting my little boost of sanity that I know that I'm not the only one. Um, but Andy Crouch says, the defining mental activity of our time is scrolling. Our capacities of attention, memory, and concentration are diminishing. To compensate, we toggle back and forth between infinite feeds of news, posts, images, episodes, take, taking shallow hits of trivia, humor, and outrage to make up for the depths of learning, joy, and genuine lament that now feel beyond our reach. We are rarely overwhelmed by wind or rain or snow. We rarely see, let alone name, the stars. We have lost the sense that we are both at home and on a pilgrimage in the vast, mysterious cosmos, anchored in a rich reality beyond ourselves. We have lost our souls without even gaining the world. And so, yeah, snaps for that, man. That is like, yeah, we have lost our souls without gaining the world. And I, I want to share about a time in my life when my response to awe and miracle were so much like Peter, was when I found out I was pregnant with my first child in 2018. Um, if worry was defined as an experience, this was it for my life at this point. Um, little context, my husband and I had just moved out of our house. Uh, we'd sold pretty much everything we owned. Uh, we'd quit our jobs. My husband was working as a pastor, but we ha and he had told them they were that we were leaving to come start a church, but we hadn't told the congregation yet. We were basically secretly living in my parents' house with nothing. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I woke up and one morning really randomly, and I hadn't gotten my period, and I was like, why is my body up right now at 6 a.m.? And I... I didn't, I didn't want to know, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go take a test, and that little faint second line came up, and I, the whole house was sleeping, and I just sat there for a minute on the bathroom floor, and I was like, I have, I have to go, and I ran upstairs, I got in the car, and I drove to the closest grocery store that was open, and I bought prenatal vitamins, because that is the kind of person that I am. And my mind went to the handful of margaritas that I had had two weeks before, uh, visiting friends in California, and I was like, shoot, I've gotta get this baby some nutrition. Like, this is not, that was not it. And um, I thought of, then I like go home, and everyone, look, like, it is before, basically the sun is coming up. And I, I'm like, okay, how, how am I gonna, how am I gonna tell Russell? okay, I'm going to, like, get a bag and put the pregnancy test in there and, like, do some tissue paper. And he's sleeping, so I'm going to, like, I'm going to wake him up and give him this? <laughs> and, like, where was my brain? I spent no time contemplating this miracle. I just panicked and, um, like, panicked. And 
I will not share what the words that came out of my husband's mouth for the sake of my daughter if she someday sees this, but um, it was wild. It was wild times. And so if you think you don't have a plan for a, a crazy life event that's about to happen to you, I can relate. It happened to me. It, yeah, it was very real. So I did not, yeah, I did not respond to this glorious, most amazing miracle that I was going to have a baby. And months later, when I was still pregnant, and I was at my new teaching job on the Upper West Side. We got jobs, praise the Lord. And um, I had a colleague come up to me when I was, and she was a very prayerful woman, and uh, she put her hands on me kind of like this, and she just looked at me in the eye with complete severity and said, God gave me a vision for your child, and your child is going to be special, and she's going to be different, and she's going to be a gift and she's going to change people's lives. And folks, that is the response I should have had to listen to God on this one. And here's a picture of my daughter. She's amazing. That's her at her favorite restaurant eating her favorite dish in the whole world. And um, Dan Rather, a CBS anchor, once asked Mother Teresa what she said during her prayers. And she answered, I listen. And so Dan turned the question and asked, well, then what does God say? And Mother Teresa smiled with confidence and answered, He listens. And for an instant, Dan didn't know what to say. And if you don't understand that, Mother Teresa added, I can't explain that to you. How are we present with God and attentive to Him? Let's look at what God does in this last section and how He wants our attention and presence for His glory. And so God's glory, God comes with a different agenda. Verse 7 says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And so we're going to focus on kind of just the first part um, for a second because I want to say the only comparable image of a glorious cloud descending and overshadowing them was when I was at Rachel and Brandon's wedding and they had their first dance on a cloud on a cloud i when i tell you i i stopped breathing i stopped breathing i was like like look at that it's amazing and everybody the i mean like it was talk about glory it was glorious and you cannot make that stuff up so yes i will never forget Never, ever. And so now let's get we're back to God's cloud. God, um, <laughs> God audibly spoke and was in this cloud. And he audibly spoke to the disciples and he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Beloved son, listen to him. God is directly acknowledging who Jesus is and his divinity. This is a huge deal. And God is audible and present with these people. Who else has God spoke to in, in the scriptures like this? It, he spoke to Abraham, 
to stop him from sacrificing his son Isaac. He spoke to Moses to change Moses' plan and go back to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. He spoke to Saul, who later became Paul, to stop his continued persecution of Christians and change his heart. God speaks. What I've noticed about these people is God, God speaks in his mercy to change the course of people's lives completely, removing distraction and redirecting their attention to his glory. What is glory? We said, I talked about that for a second before, and it is this word doxa, and it means God's infinite intrinsic worth. God loves God. God is sufficient in himself. He is perfect, and he is flawless. I want you to think about that for a second. Flawless. This is a Trinitarian moment. God is speaking life into his son and declaring who his son is. He wants the disciples to pay attention to how much worth is in this moment. When my daughter is at the playground at Madison Square Park and she's desperately wanting these older children to play with her who are just running past her, going to play with their friends, I oftentimes just want to go up to them and just say, stop, listen to her, listen. Sometimes I do. <laughs> Some of y'all know me. <laughs> I have done that. But I, it, it's like there is so much worth in this child. Listen to her. And I think that can only imagine how God felt about his son in this moment. God's glory demands our attention and our presence. Jesus demands our attention and our presence. What I mean by that is it's essential to our life and our breath that we pay attention to the glory of God. And God will be glorified whether we are paying attention to him or not. He will take what is his. He will have it. It is inevitable. But it is also vital for us. And before Jesus, people would have to enter into this curtained space in the tabernacle that was only reserved for high priests to experience the manifestation of the glory of God. And now in this moment, the disciples have access to it, and because of Jesus, we have access to it in a moment. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, and I read, a lot of, I read it in preparation for this, and it's, it's kind of a short book. It's worth a read. And in it, he says, Who is this within the veil who dwells in fiery manifestations, is it none other than God himself? We settle for an ignoble contentment, a distractedness. We stop at anxiety. We stop at fear. We stop at defeat. All robbing us of the burning zeal that we can choose in a moment. And if you're thinking, well, I've never heard God's voice. I've never felt this glory. Where is it? Um, in the scriptures, some people heard God. A lot of people never did. And in his mercy, God spoke, not because of the disciples' earning, not because anybody earned it, but because God was merciful in those moments. And so Tozer goes on to say in his book, the voice of God is the most powerful force in nature. Indeed, the only force in nature. For all energy is here only because the power-filled word is being spoken. God spoke and the world was made. God breathed life into the earth with his voice. And what if God is always speaking? 
always revealing his glory? What if he's always creating and God created from the beginning with his voice? Have you ever read a book that changed your life? Have you ever seen a play? Anybody? Changed your life? Have you ever smelled an ornamental lily for free at Trader Joe's? (laughs) Or for the whole week for $6? (laughs) Um, Have you ever gazed upon a sleeping child? Notice how I said sleeping. Um, I'm kidding. Have you ever watched a child dance? Have you ever put your bare feet onto freshly cut grass? Have you tasted a shack burger? (laughs) Have you held the hand of your grandmother, gazing into her eyes, deteriorating with dementia? Have you swayed on a boat in the open water? Have you seen lightning bugs dancing in the dark? Have you seen your mother cry? Your father? Have you flown on a literal plane? (laughs) Um, Have you you had a doctor give you actual medicine to heal you? Have you seen a mountain or the snow? Have you heard for the love of all that is good, Mozart or Beyonce right now? Uh, N.T. Ray explains that the transfiguration is a sign of Jesus being entirely caught up with, bathed in the love, power, and kingdom of God, so that it transformed his whole being with light in the way that music transforms words that are sung. God is saying, I am the best voice to hear. I am the best smell to smell, taste to taste, song to hear, memory to remember, thought to think, I am the beginning, the middle, the end. I am in all, through all. I made all. I am it. Listen up. Are we paying attention? The Bible is the best-selling book on the planet for a reason. What is God saying? He's saying, let me be glorified. Let me be worthy to you. Listen. So to conclude, I think God transfigured to reveal the gospel to us. In his mercy, revealing his glory in this way, it is ponderable. It is mysterious. It is choosable. When I think about the transfiguration, I think about the romancing of the Lord. I think of how he enamors us to his ways in events that are absolutely astounding if you choose to entertain the idea and eventually believe it and then actually embrace the faithful work of following Christ. And to end with Tozer again, writing in the pursuit of God, he says, God formed us for his pleasure and so formed us that we as well as he can in divine communion enjoy the sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities. He's kindred to us. He meant us to see him and live with him and draw our life from his smile. The story of Jesus is a masterpiece. It's an illustration of God using his perfect will in the brokenness of the world to save the world. True love. I was watching Frozen with my daughter yesterday and like crying at the table because I see this act of sacrifice from a sister to another sister in the film. I'm like, this is just a glimpse of what God feels for us. And so do not our hearts burn within us to experience this. In this time, in this moment, 
in this city where where are your thoughts and what are they present with survey them and pray that god presses you in and that you choose to enter humbly into the presence of the living god of the universe and if you can't find him look look in the scriptures look in the mirror look in your very soul let's pray Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to, uh, to learn more about your glory. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this moment. And I just pray that as we breathe, we can be reminded of the very, very thing that gave us life and breath, and that is you, God. Thank you so much for Reunion Church, and um, I pray that as we sing, we can just worship you with freedom and, um, and truth, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.